0: <laughs> She's like, you're not talking to me. I'm just playing. Sometimes you sit in the back, and it's the front. Isn't that crazy? Just by walking up here, now it's the front, and they're in the back. Anyway, I just wanted to do that. It was really funny. we were really spread out, but it's good, right? Does it feel good to have a little space? I kind of dig it, like the tables. we got more empty seats up front, but, uh, but I'm sorry I walked back there. I, I know some of you in the back were really uncomfortable just now. That was terrible. Um, <clears throat> Well, we're just glad you're here today with us, worship with us. And I, I'm so excited, uh, as always, to be gathered with you again and uh, learning about uh, God and, and um, Jesus Christ and the kingdom and, and all the things that we study each week. And, and you know, one of the struggles for me, uh, I, I think, is um, sometimes when I read the scriptures, it seems so simple. You know? Or sometimes when I hear uh, someone explaining the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it seems so simple. And,. Um, and so I just, it, it just, I guess I run into this a while, and I hope you'll allow me a, a few minutes to, just to be human, you know, but I just run into this thing where it just it doesn't seem that complicated, but yet somehow out, out in the mess of life, it gets very complicated, doesn't it? Uh, somehow out there, it doesn't quite feel the same. You can have a private conversation, an intimate conversation with a friend about Jesus Christ, and you can, in that moment, completely understand what it means, well, m- as much as we can, Right? I mean, you can, com- you can just have this conviction, this moment, this God moment in your life where you're like, wow, I get it, man. That's awesome. And, and, then, and then 10 minutes later, you're just awash. You ever feel that way? I, I almost think it's uh, a little sense of humor that God might have. Because it seems like right after those moments where not figured it out, something just happens and phew, the rug's out front of you and you're just like, whoa. And you know where we find ourselves again is caught up in that thing called faith caught up in that thing called trust, caught up in that thing called, uh, I don't have it all figured out, but I know the one who does, right? And we, we just constantly, constantly uh, couch our words and be careful of who we are. And, and I'm going to ask this morning, I come this morning, again, very, uh, my very human nature, right, to the gospel this morning. I come very much as who I am before God. Uh, so much of our life, um, we were talking this week in the office, and one of the things that, that I know we, we are, a lot of people are on vacation, we are on vacation. One of the things that happens is you kind of lose all those trappings that, that define who you are. And um, so much, I think, of what we surround ourselves with are things that help us feel more important or more significant. And last week's uh, work through Ecclesiastes uh, would have tabled all that conversation, right? Those of you who are here. Um, I'm actually going to start this week in Ecclesiastes. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read this one little verse out of Ecclesiastes. Um, that, that kind of spurred the thought for this week's sermon and our time together, our conversation. I do pray it's a conversation. By the way, if you don't have a um, a bolt, and I'd invite you to get one or something to write on, it don't have to be a bolt, and just something you can write your notes on and stuff, because uh, we believe there's time and space is for God to speak to you, and um, that's really what our goal is. Someone was telling me last week, they said, well, I came in and I started reading Ecclesiastes, and you started preaching, I kept reading Ecclesiastes, and they felt they were like a little. Badness. That's perfect, right? I mean, it's about God speaking to you, and that's exactly what happened, uh, person. But listen to what it says in the fourth chapter of Ecclesiastes. We kind of talked about this last week a little bit about this guy who was alone, this kind of workaholic idea, this this thing where you end up isolating yourself from the world through your work. But this is what it says. I want to read it again. Four eight says there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And he says, "For whom am am I toiling?" He asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless. It's a miserable business. And then he said this thing here that struck me, and and, uh, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about this idea. But he said this thing here. He says, this is Solomon speaking. He says, because two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work, right? So don't be alone in your work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up, right? Also, if two lie down together, they're going to keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And, and that idea of so much of our Christianity or so much of our response to Jesus Christ becomes an individual response. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Um, the weight of the world is on your shoulders to figure this stuff out. To, to uh, We were talking a little bit in our, our family group to get the combination right, to crack the safe that holds God. But that doesn't seem to be the gospel at all. But see, God is active and living among us right now in this moment, right here, speaking into our hearts. And it's not about us figuring it out, but about us journeying with him. But you see, you don't really journey alone. And Solomon says here that two are better than one. Three is the strongest, stronger yet, right? And so as I was thinking about this idea of discipleship, because that's what we end up with, what happens for most folks is you you hear this message of Jesus Christ and you accept it. And and you have this period of just pure joy, right? Pure bliss. And this can go on indefinitely. That's our our prayer. But then there's there's something that kind of happens after. There's this hole after you've received the gospel. There's this this thing that you go, great. And, And the question becomes what? Now what? You know, you have this mountaintop experience. Now what? Now what do you do? And the biblical answer for that is what we see demonstrated through the Bible is discipleship. Right? Discipleship. And we talked about discipleship a bit uh, before together, but part of this discipleship is just being a learner, you know? I mean, we have this mountaintop experience, and we've got to start to act like we have it all figured out. Wh- whose lie and trap is that, you know? Just common folks being, being renewed by Jesus Christ, and you have... And then what? Well, then we start to journey. And you don't journey alone, but you journey together. So this is what we're going to talk about today a little bit. But I, I you know, being, um, being who I am, right? I read that Solomon thing. He says two are better than one. I agree with that. One guy can't stay warm by himself, Dan. So, uh, you know, if, if, if things are, uh, get bad, bad enough, <laughs> you'll keep me warm, right? Um, but he said the cord of three is not easily broken. So I did this last night, and... and uh, this is my multimedia fact for the day, but I want you to see how this works. This is a, a little um, butcher's, what's this stuff called? String. You know, whenever I was a kid, you would, go into a, you would go into a butcher's shop, and they'd have this next to the meat. Do they have those anymore? And they would just pull off the spindle as they rolled the package. Show my age a little bit, right? So, so I did this, and you can see these are all, these are all single strands here, and, uh, and I broke it. Right, this is, I'm not doing anything here, <laughs> tricky, now watch this, so I did this, and this is so funny because this is just three strings, <clears throat> okay, watch now, those strings, you see how easily I broke those strings, I'm going to show you something, <laughs> wait, oh, see, now I thought, well the, how discouraging is that, because it broke, but it doesn't say it's in, unbreakable, but man, how much harder was that for me to do just, mm, you know what I mean? Uh, verses of one string. And so I thought, okay, so Solomon's on something here. So in that moment, in that uh, idea of three is stronger than one, something just kind of come to me. Something kind of came to this idea from Scripture. And we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about it. The three names that came to mind for me was Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. Just popped like that. Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. And I thought... I wonder what their story is about. I wonder how they're interconnected. I wonder what those guys are about. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend some time talking about one of those three gentlemen, Barnabas. And I hope you'll uh, join me on that journey. But as we begin, let's pray together before we open God's word. Father God, we are so grateful to be here with you this morning. Uh, Just as who we are, you know, um, not super Christians, not super answer men, but just folks who are on the journey. And what an incredible journey it is to be with you. And uh, we pray today, Lord, that uh, your will would be done here among us, that if if there are hard hearts, Lord, you make them soft, you know, that you would open them up. If there are are stuck minds, that you would um, unstick them, you know, that you would just draw us holistically into this truth. What a great witness we have uh, from the brothers who have gone before us. And Lord, today I pray that uh, your spirit would dwell richly in your word and richly in our souls that we might know truth today that we might see truth today and that you might get glory and praise and honor forever for what you've done for us in Jesus and uh, we just thank you for prayer and for the opportunity to pray pray all these things in the name of Jesus amen so if you want to turn with me turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 9 we're going to read a little story here from Acts actually Acts is one big story right but we're gonna read Acts chapter 9 verse 18, where we're gonna start. So there's this guy named Saul, and, and you guys all know Saul, but we're gonna just start reading here right in the middle of this story, and it's unfair to Saul, but we'll get to that next week. But this is what it says, 18, chapter 9, verse 18 says immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. See, that's the moment of conversion. And he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so here you have this this kind of little snippet of the life of Paul and Barnabas, right? But this is where we we learn something about Barnabas and and his role. And, uh, but I... As we read that, you say, like, what's, what's the big deal with this Saul guy, right? Because I want you to see that this guy is proclaiming Jesus, and he's proclaiming it powerfully, but whenever he gets to Jerusalem, the, the center of this new movement, right, that Jesus started, he's kind of pushed away by the followers. He, he's not trusted. So I say, what's the big deal with that, you know? I want you to flip back with me a little bit here. We're going to look a little more into who this Saul guy is. In verse 9, actually it's in the same chapter, in verse 9, uh, verse 5, chapter 9, verse 5. Whenever Saul is confronted by the living God, he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, the response is this, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Saul, first of all, is a persecutor of Jesus himself. That's a pretty big deal, right? Saul is called on the carpet for being none other than the persecutor of Jesus himself. And then look in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So not only is he persecuting Jesus, but he's threatening anyone who would speak in his name. The Saul guy is a bad dude, right? Would you be afraid if he came in here? Would you have any hang-ups at all about that? You know? Maybe you'd say, no, I'm Man. The threat was real. Turn to chapter 7, verse 54. I just want to hear, you to hear the story. You've heard some of these stories before, but I want you to understand some of the context that Saul comes to Jerusalem from. 54, chapter 7, 50, verse 54 says this. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed his teeth at him. This is at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices and all of them rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him to death. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And I'm just going to continue the story here. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and he fell on his knees and he cried out, Do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That's a nice way of saying he was killed. He was murdered for professing Jesus. And in the middle of this murder, in the middle of this absolute persecution for just something that you believe, some of the people brought some of the bloody clothes and dropped them at the feet of this guy named Saul see, when you hear that story, and you've lived that story, and then you're standing there in Jerusalem, and you hear that Saul's coming, you probably don't want to have a lunch meeting, right? This guy, I mean, it's a trap. There's something going on with Saul. And there's no way, no way is he coming to proclaim Jesus. So who is Barnabas, right? Because we have this absolute threat of Saul coming in to, to Jerusalem and no one wants to even talk to him and then I just want to hear what this says here again about Barnabas, right? He tried to join the disciples in verse 26 but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. What does the disciple mean? I want to lower the bar a bit on disciples this morning is that okay with you all? I don't want to keep discipleship way up here where none of us can get to it. It's right down here. It means you're a learner. You're one who is learning from Jesus, right? And I would say that all of us qualify if we are even asking questions about Jesus. You're some kind of a disciple of Jesus, right? And they come in here in verse 26, and they cannot believe he's really— it doesn't mean they can't believe that he's a good man. It doesn't mean they can't believe he's proclaiming the gospel. It means they can't believe he really wants to know what Jesus has to say when he comes into town. But in 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, who is this Barnabas guy? Who who is he that he would come out to the murderous Saul and bring him to the disciples? That's a crazy thing, isn't it? I mean, do you think Barnabas had any risk in this? Was there anything that could happen to him? It could be a trap, right? Right? He could be killed. He could be excommunicated from this new movement that Jesus started. These guys were really afraid. And here's Barnabas bringing this guy into the fold. Barnabas steps up. I I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to how Saul would feel here. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you've been completely changed? Do you ever, do you remember? We were talking this morning about high school yearbooks and stuff. Do you remember the high school yearbook? How do you like class reunions? Is that a fun experience? Man, you can go to the 20-year class reunion. You are completely different. But you got all that old baggage just following you around, doesn't it? Just like a little pull toy just dragging behind you. You're not that person anymore. You ever been Saul? You ever been Saul where he's, I know who you are. I know what you're about. Here's the other side of the question have you ever had to vouch for someone at great personal risk how many times you get burnt by vouching for someone and then you don't vouch for anybody anymore you know it's a great american pastime i can only speak for myself here (laughs) because we're so tired of getting burned by people You, you stand up for somebody no that's a good man that's a good woman that's an upright person and then they just pull the rug out front of you and you go stupid 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 stupid, right? And the next time, and the next time, and the next time, Barnabas stepped into that breach. I'll tell you a little story here. I remember one time whenever I was a little boy, I was in grade school. And if you don't know about this part of my story, I apologize for not telling you before now. <laughs> but I was the kid in the playground that always got beat up. You know, I mean, I was that kid, man. I, was the, I, I always got beat up in the playground. And uh, and I tried not to get beat up in the playground, but it never worked. Like all my little strategies and stuff. One day, there was this new kid at school, and his name was Mike. And uh, he shows up, and the gang left me alone because there was a new kid in school. And and they rushed over and they just started to torment and torture. And for the first time in that playground, I found myself in the crowd and not in the center and this was going on all day and they were just aggravating and just ridiculing all the little things that boys do just to make each other crazy at a young age so we can't be right when we're adults, right? and, and they're doing this and I'm standing there and in a moment of passion and conviction and utter stupidity I said, leave him alone! and there I went, what? and I got beat up. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. In my mind, I thought it was going to go really well. But it's not what happened. But you know, him and I became best friends. Best friends. Because of that moment of standing up. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience of standing up for someone, but that's what I see Barnabas doing here. And then I ask my question, what makes a person like Barnabas, Barnabas? What makes a person uh, have that kind of integrity, that kind of... um, uh, nerve, those kind of guts, to stand up and take someone in. I want to go back and read about Barnabas a little bit. And we're going to flip back to chapter 4. We're just going to jump around here. We're going to ask the whole time. And we're going to roll through a few spots where we see some stories here about Barnabas. And um, Acts 4 is where we're going to start. Acts 4, verse 32. And I'm just going to read through it. And there's so much stuff. This is just a proof of there's so much stuff to be seen in Scripture. Verse 32 says, All the believers were one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now, that should tell you right now, this is early, early church stuff, right? I mean, these guys were like cloud nine euphoria, you know? And they're just sharing everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look at all the words there, man. Testifying to the resurrection. The Lord Jesus. There's a lot there, and much grace was upon all of them. There was no need, no needy person among them. For for, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought brought the money from the sales and put it at the feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So there's this idea that everyone's as important as everyone else, and no one's going to go without stuff. And if I have a bunch of stuff that I've accumulated, I'm going to sell it and bring it in and lay it at the apostles' feet to be distributed to the to the folks who need it. Which is a crazy, crazy concept, right? Look at verse 36. It says this Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owed, owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the first time we hear of Barnabas, right? His name's Joseph. But here he comes in, he's one of these early, early guys. And here's the point: he gets it. He gets the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. What else does it say about him in there? It says that he's a Levite. He's of the tribe of Levi. those who served in the temple. Now, he's probably just from that tribe. That doesn't mean he was a temple servant, but it means that he had heritage with the Jews. He was a converted Jew, as were all early Christians. And sometimes we forget that. We make, the, we make these folks in our image, right, who we are now as Gentiles. That wasn't the case. These folks had a major worldview shift. They saw that this Messiah who was coming was the Messiah who had come, and he's part of that proclamation to the world to such an extent at a great personal sacrifice. He sells what he has, and he lets it be redistributed to those who have need among them. So he's been there for a while, is all I want to say about that. A Levite, he's from Cyprus, which is a little island. This sounds beautiful, right? It says, a little island, delightful island in the Mediterranean, lying between Sicilia and Syria. He's from this little island place, and he's, he's found himself there, caught up in this thing at Jerusalem. He's a man of integrity. And I'll tell you how I know that Barnabas is a man of integrity. Because the very next verse is the one, the story that we all know. In chapter 5, it's a story that we all know. It's about Ananias and Sapphira, right? And when they sell their land, they don't, they don't have integrity with God. And they don't bring it all and put it at the apostles' feet. See, that's something you could easily get away with. So they thought. He was a man of integrity because before this had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, he had been one of the guys that had been doing it and doing it faithfully and doing it properly and not hiding and not cheating and not lying and not stealing from God on this crazy new thought that everyone is an equal inheritor from God. And we know what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. For those of you who don't know, I'll just give you the synopsis. They're struck dead for lying to God, right? So had Barnabas not been a truth teller, he'd be laying next to him. Would be Ananias, Sapphira, Barnabas. You know, that's what would be happening. He would be the next one dragged out because of lying to God. But he's not. He's a person of integrity. And he's been part of this movement from the very beginning. You see, now I start to see how he might be one who would have the ability to bring Saul into the apostles at Jerusalem. And like I said, he's the one who caught the vision of the apostles and the ecclesia, which the ecclesia is the, where we get church, right? We have it, call it church now, but it's really just the gathering, right? This, the, the gathering of believers. So he catches the vision for all this, the coming together, the worshiping, the breaking bread, all the things they're doing, and the selling of land and bring it to the apostles. He's a man of integrity. Now I'm going to turn with you to uh, Acts chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 19, I think where we're going to start. Yeah. We're going to start there. But I hope that you see that the, the ability he had to bring Saul to the apostles was a risky, risky business for him. He had a long time with that group of people. He had a lot on the line. You know what I'm saying? He had a lot to lose, right? And yet he risked it all for this guy named Saul. Here's what it says in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. You hear the name there? Stephen, that's important. Traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. So they're preaching to Jews about the, 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 the Messiah has come. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch to begin to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So these guys who are going out spreading the gospel decide, let's go talk to the non-Jews and see what they think about it. That's the Gentiles, that's us, folks. And they start to see the same response there. God's hand was with them, bringing this great news of the Messiah that had come for the whole world. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they went to Barnabas. They sent Barnabas to Antioch, Right? When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. They sent him out from Jerusalem to examine. Again, he has some status. This is after he brought Saul in. Fair enough, right? But I want to go back for a minute to see what he said about Paul when he brought him in. 27 chapter 9 but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles this is Saul the one who's been murdering them and he told them he testified to them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to Saul and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus so Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem you see he took everything that he had and he laid it on the line do you ever put your neck out for somebody do you ever do you, you ever have that experience in life he took him in there, and he, he said, this is his story, and this is the guy, and you've got to let him be part of our movement. It's re, he's a really good guy, and, and that's what happened. So he gets sent out. Now, this all becomes important here in chapter 11 too, right? Because he kind of, he's an encourager, right? It says here in 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, that's the Ecclesia, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, right? They sent him to investigate. So now they say, go, check it out. Where did Paul go? Does anyone Remember? Tarsus that's right Paul was sent to Tarsus and then and then uh, Barnabas stays behind and they send him out to Antioch to discover what's going on with the Greeks in Antioch right they're just hearing all these reports back in Jerusalem the center of the movement and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts man what a great great thing Barnabas does a couple of things I want to point out here is that in Jerusalem, whenever Stephen was killed, he was not scattered. It's in, it's in the verses 19 through 22, right? Those who had been scattered by the persecution were sent out. But where was, where was Barnabas? He was still in Jerusalem. So it seems he wasn't scattered out. When everyone else ran for shelter after Stephen was killed, Barnabas, you know, was hanging tight in Jerusalem, Right? He was a trusted leader because in verse 22, they sent him out to investigate. And and what's the implication there? And to report back. We're going to take your word for this, Barnabas. You're a man of integrity. If you go there and say good things, God things are happening there, we're going to trust your word of that. We're going to take that word as truth. He's a hands-on guy, right? And I just love this little verse here. He gets excited. It says he becomes overjoyed or rejoiceful. He's just so excited to see that God's moving here too. And you might go, well, of course. But, you know, he's coming from a Jewish background. He's got to have some doubt about this, right? And he shows up to investigate. And the minute he sees that God is involved, he, he does what he loves to do. He becomes an encourager. You know, he gets a nickname. His name is Joseph, but we call him Barnabas. Do you know why? Because Barnabas is this guy who always says, he sees something, he goes, wow. And he comes over and he says, hey, man, what you're doing is awesome that's so cool. God is using you. Man, that's great. And then look what he says to them. Take heart, right? And keep doing what you're doing. Remain true to the Lord with all of your hearts, he says. He's so excited to see someone else responding to the living God. I said what he does. He runs over there and puts his arm on him. The word is paraklesis, right? There's two times it's, it's paraklesis here when he does it, and it's parakaleo whenever he said he's the encourager, right? He's this guy It means to go over with them, to call to one side, to either say, hey, come over here, or run over to someone, to say, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. And then just have that moment together. Barnabas is the kind of friend a guy needs. I hope you see that. He loved to encourage. He would say to you, yes, yes, keep that. No, not that. Don't keep that. Do that. Let's go this way. You're doing great. You know, he's that guy. He's right in there in the mix with you. Keep being who you are in God. You know, too many times we have people who come to Jesus Christ and have a new life in Christ, and yet we keep seeing the old, you know? We we, we have a hard time celebrating because we remember, we remember you. Right? We can't just be joyous and say, yes, that's so cool. God is speaking to you too. I want to say to you this morning, if God is stirring your heart, yes, that's so cool. God is speaking to you. It's an amazing story that we're part of. And then... The last thing I want to say here about, about Barnabas, the last for this little set here, is he wasn't interested in a short-term thing. He was, he was a long-haul kind of a guy. Barnabas wasn't the guy who shows up and says, hey, good job, you know, high-five, photo-op, and leaves. Right? I was reading about people who weren't responding to Katrina, and there were some people criticizing folks who would come in short-term and go back, and it's great they came in short-term, but they had no long-term interest in the viability of the solutions. You know? Barnabas wasn't that guy. He was a guy willing to come in and stick it out. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. He was a, let's just look at the testimony, by the way, in 24. He was a good man, the text says. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. Look where he goes, right? He goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he finds Saul in Tarsus, he brings him back to Antioch. You see how he does that? He says, man, this is really cool. And you know who would be great here? Saul would be great here. Let's go get Saul. And he runs over to Tarsus and he gets Saul and he brings him back to Antioch. And it says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the Ecclesia in Antioch and taught a great number of people. And look at this last little verse here. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Isn't that crazy? So somehow from this ministry of Barnabas, this encourager, this one who loves to come along and say, that's so cool, you're doing great, look at what God's doing in your life, that's awesome. Actually, somehow by grabbing Saul and bringing him back and becoming part of God's work, gave you all a name. Isn't that crazy? The word Christian was actually a little derogatory originally. It was called baby, baby Christs. Oh, yeah, you're those baby Christs, those baby Messiahs. You're those little bitty Messiahs. You're those people who think the Messiah has come. Oh, you crazy Messiah people, you know. This is what it meant. It was just, you're the Christians. But now we say, yeah, we're the Christians. It's a beautiful thing. And this first happens at Antioch. And then after that, and if you have all read Acts, and if you haven't, I pray you would read Acts, because Acts is a beautiful story we'll be talking about, it, I think, for a while. But this idea of, of Acts: 13, 14, 15, the whole thing is a chronicle of this journey that Paul or that Saul and Barnabas take, right? The whole thing is a chronicle of their journey. And the whole tale just starts to unfold this journey they have together. He's not just in Antioch for a year with him, but then they're released from Antioch. And they go from Antioch to Seleucia, Cyprus, Salmus, Paphos, Perga, Pamphylia, Poseidon, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And then for good measure, they go back the other way and go through every town again. And they keep doing this together. They have this huge, incredible journey together. Barnabas and Saul. And what's so crazy is that it all started when Barnabas had the courage to put his neck on the line for this murderer, murderer named Saul. How much was um, he committed to his task, Barnabas? How much did he believe that he had to be the one to encourage others? Read with me in chapter 15, verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, now this is after they done all that traveling and they've gone all around, all the way back and they end up back in Antioch, and he says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John who was also called Mark with him but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work so this guy by the way John Mark joined them on the journey and part of it and then bailed out you know and here's Barnabas he's so committed to encouraging he's so committed to discipling he's so committed to joining together on the journey that he says let's take him and Paul says no that's not very smart Barnabas And they had such a sharp disagreement in verse 39 that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. That's his home island. But Paul took Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and went to Syria and Cilicia. Isn't that interesting? After all this, after all this journey with Paul, after all the miracles, because man, you hear about Paul next week, man, the miracles were crazy. Barnabas goes, no, I, I think I'm supposed to, we're supposed to take Mark along. Paul says, that's not smart. And apparently, Paul wasn't paying a lot of attention to Barnabas whenever he was the guy on the outside, right? Because Barnabas doesn't seem to care too much about that. He's got a mission. He's got a call to be an encourager. And so he takes them and he parts ways with his beloved friend, Paul, and he goes on the journey to make another disciple for Jesus. How cool is that? And you know, I find myself, in, and uh, I, I, I think uh, I can speak for most of us who are on this journey. Too, too many times, we're, we're alone. Too many times, we don't have that Barnabas come up beside us saying, man, that's so cool that God's moving your life, you know? It's such an amazing thing. We take it for granted. And I can get caught up in that thinking. I can think, oh, poor me. If someone would just come along and encourage me. If someone could just take my hand and say, good, let's go this way. You're doing great. God's in it. How much of a, of a powerful, of a, you know, the, the blessing that is to you in your walk with Jesus. Because if you get along long enough, alone long enough, you start to, you start to actually, you start to think this is crazy. This is crazy. And then God reveals truth through a friend. But the flip side of this all is this. You can be a Barnabas. You can be a Barnabas. I can be a Barnabas. I can go up to someone and say, man, that's awesome that God's moving in your life. In the littlest ways, that's so cool. Because if you've met Jesus Christ, you know it didn't start by getting knocked off of a horse. Maybe it did for you. But, but it probably started as a little seed of something that you couldn't get right in your life. A seed is something that you couldn't make peace with in your life. Whatever it was, it was the grace of the living God working in your life. And you can be the person to fan that. Say, so yeah, that's awesome that God's moving in your life. I pray that prayer today that we would all be Barnabas to someone. Let's pray together. Father God, what an encouraging message today just to know that you send not not just the Pauls into the world lord but those barnabas who come alongside and who just love on us and show us that that you're working and encourage us in that walk and and all the days that are our struggles and all the days that are blessings lord pray today lord that by the power of your spirit you might move us to be barnabas to someone you might move us to be someone who, who looks past all the old and sees the new and I pray, Lord, that you would bring a barnabas into all of our lives as we seek to follow the risen Savior, that we would use a biblical model for it. In all ways today, Lord, I pray you're glorified. That you're glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, here's the question that we end up with for this whole thing anyway. So many of us work so hard to build up a lifetime of a good reputation. You know, a, gr- a good name is worth more than silver or gold kind of stuff, right? But if you never risk it on anybody, if you never take a chance to, t- to stick your neck out for somebody else, how, what good is it for you to have a reputation at all? It's just going to be some prideful thing. One came, one came, who had the best reputation, the best reputation. He was one who could stand in front of any crowd and not be condemned. He was one who could stand up to any criticism, any so-called truth, because he was truth. And when Jesus Christ came and stood there, in that moment, he did not keep his integrity for himself. He did not say, look at my life, you cannot condemn me. He laid himself out and died for us. And that's the model that we profess, Christians. That's the model of success in our world. It's not to to be self-righteous, to be self-approved, to be holy, unto yourself but to proclaim that message that there's one who did come there's one who was and he's the one that brought grace to me I'm going to say to you this morning that if you don't yet know Jesus Christ man that, that bar of discipleship is so low, Jesus is waiting waiting and, and uh, you go man those crazy Christians and I go brothers in Antioch got the same, got the same treatment <laughs> because there's so much truth be found in the God who came to earth to dwell among us and then live perfect, sinless life above reproach and die as an outcast. And if you don't know the forgiveness of that one who makes peace with God, I pray that the Spirit would move in your life today to make that happen. And uh, for all of us who made that uh, decision, that acceptance, who just turned around and opened our hands and received it, I pray we would start that journey again today. Of being a disciple of the risen Christ if you want to pray pray If you want to pray you can come up front and pray with me if you want you can meet with me later and pray talk this is a human condition that we're talking about today the need for the living God okay this isn't some faraway by and by spiritual idea it's a very human condition that we find ourselves in so if you want to pray meet talk whatever you want to do I invite you to do that but I invite you right now in this moment to spend some time with the living God reflecting on the truth of Jesus.